like to invite the children to Children's Church. And uh, Christy was just talking about the prayer and all and all that she had. Reminded me of a story. It might have been the same man camp I first met Alan. But I was at a man camp. I want to say it was the first year I was pastor here. And uh, I remember sitting at a table with Pastor Ken Redford, who is at Meridian Friends. And a few of the uh, people from Woodland Friends were talking to Ken, and, and he said, Hey, Ken, how long have you been at Meridian? And Ken said, Oh, coming up on 22, 23 years. And I think it was John Pitts and Phil and a few other people from Woodland Friends all in queue looked at me. And I had only been pastor for less than a year, I think. So I don't know if they were giving me a subtle hint that they wanted me to stay long. Maybe those opinions have changed by now. But <laughs> but I... I uh, do remember, I think I met Alan, if not at a men's retreat, maybe at our the pastor's conference Christy and I went to, and he was pastor at Greenleaf Friends. I won't tell you how many years. I could come up with a number, but um, uh, he is now our assistant superintendent. He's with Jim Lashana, and some of you remember Jim, who was here a few years ago, and Jim's preached a few times through the TV screen for us. Uh, but uh, just so glad to have Alan with us, and so I'd like to invite him to come forward and share with us this morning. Give you this mic here too. <laughs> I'll just put that on your shirt. Here. Sure. There we go. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. It's certainly good to be with uh, you folks today. Uh, good to worship and enjoy being with you. And uh, just want to bless what what you're doing and. And how the Lord is uh, is working in your lives and in your congregation here. I don't remember when we first yet, but it, Matt, but it's been a decade, hadn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, Christy, I had a thought while you were sharing your story about your prayer. When I was my year out of high school, that first August out of high school, I left for a year for South America. Um, I had done a one year volunteer with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and not translating the Bible, but working with their stuff. So I went to Costa Rica. Uh, to learn Spanish and then went to Colombia, South America to work on their base where they were working on 23 or 33 languages at the same time. And it was a big operation. They had a farm there. I was working on the farm. But one of the things I had that I'd never had before as a, as a kid that I had never taken time for was in that, in that setting, I began to study the scriptures on my own and just began to read and, and, uh, think about it, had time, time to think and, uh, just was really, really a powerful experience in my life. And one night, um, I look back and laugh at this moment, like you laugh. Um, I sat back and said, this stuff the Bible's talking about is really valuable and good. God, somebody ought to teach people about it. <laughs> and I think God's going, cha-ching, you know. <laughs> so, here I am, 40-some years later. So, uh, so I was at Greenleaf for 17 years. As, as the pastor there and just decided it was time to step down that, that wrapped up 40 years of full-time, uh, leadership within, uh, friends churches. So kind of my travel around the countries in friends church context is I was born in Colorado Springs. So born and grew up in Rocky Mountain near the meeting, uh, in Colorado, uh, wound up in Kansas. And so I was a part of Mid-America Year of the Meeting for uh, 11 years, and that's where I began at Haviland Friends Church, and then had the opportunity to head back to Indiana. So we were a part of Indiana Year of the Meeting for uh, 19 years back there, which included pastoral ministry and 
for five years, I was uh, then the general superintendent of Indiana Yearly Meeting. So then following Indiana Yearly Meeting, that's when we came to Idaho in, in 2005. So that kind of is kind of my quickie here in uh, among friends and uh, just a couple of comments uh, just about things before we get into the scriptures here. Um, I had to smile. Kevin stopped and showed us the valley. We stopped at Hogsback yesterday. We talked about the uh, sunrise service. So when you're up there at the sunrise service on Hogsback, I'll be at our sunrise service at Lizard Butte. So I, I just love the places we have these sunrise services, don't you? So I'll be thinking of you from Lizard Butte. And uh, I just want to mention, I noticed out here on your uh, bulletin board, which got Evangelical Friends Mission uh, letters out there. One of those is my, uh, Michael and Catherine Linville. Um, when I was in Indiana, you were meeting, pastoring a church called Little Blue River, um, that's where his dad grew up, and I, for a decade, I combined all of Michael's grandpa's corn, and so <laughs> it's a small world when you start looping around here uh, in, in Friends. You, you start crossing paths all over the place. Well, this morning, I would like for us to uh, just spend some time actually reflecting on what we've been doing here for the last hour in terms of we're worshiping, but I'd kind of like to focus on one piece of that, not as not just as worship, but but something I think is really, really important to us. I'd like to reflect on this worship and what we're doing here when, when we get together like we do on Sunday mornings, whether it's in this room or where we're at at, at Greenleaf Friends Church, that our our worship is witness in the world around us. As we've been here this morning. We've named the characteristics of God, like we sang, holy, 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 God in three persons. We're describing who God is in the, in the blessed Trinity, and we're, we're honoring the Lord. We're blessing the Lord's name. We're recommitting our lives to the Lord. We do that week in and week out, don't we? It's like a fresh consecration, and if we needed to focus that a little more clearly, we had a child dedication today where really there was, I really come to appreciate those and weddings, both for the, for the couple we're talking about, but what we're doing is, is we're naming who we are as a fellowship of believers. That these parents or couples that take vows of marriage in, in the front of our, our sanctuaries here, uh, they're not on their own. This is a community event and it belongs to all of us. Uh, to care for one another. And if there's one thing that Margie and I look back on, it's that uh, we had people of the same sets of values, that when our kids were at their house, we knew what was going on. And we knew what those values were about. And, and we thank the Lord very deeply for those people. And so that's just really, uh, just really a, a precious thing in our lives. And those that, that just carries into our communities as witness. And what I really want to do this morning is affirm what you're doing and encourage you and encourage you to see your being a fellowship of believers gathered in the name of the Lord, worshiping like this and what comes out of it in your lives as being part, a significant part of your witness. Now I know we're, you're not in a big place. That's just fine. Actually, Margie and I really relate to small 
I mean, when we lived in Haviland, Kansas, in a county of 3,000 people, we were in the town of 600, so we were not quite a city, but it was, in our context, it was one of the bigger places, and it was big enough for me. One day I said to Margie, I wish we could live in the country, and she said, huh? <laughs> so uh, I, I get it. You know, where we lived there at Little Blue River, we had... Uh, we could see two houses from where we lived, and that was plenty. You know what I mean? It was it was perfect. Our kids had about 400 acres to run on, so that was just just right for us. And and I get this small stuff. By the way, I just enjoyed reading. I noticed on your website that it was actually people from North Branch, Kansas, back in the late 1800s that came out here just to kind of close the the friends loop. Uh, back, I think it was in the 1950s. I have an uncle who bought a farm there. I know North Branch, Kansas, and it actually made, I drove through here and I thought, what you have in Woodland right now makes North Branch look small. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I do small, I do small really, really well, but still, wherever we're at, our worship is part of our witness, because people see who we are, they see our values, they see our beliefs, and our values are based on those beliefs, and they see those beliefs in action. In action, and and I think that's really, really, really important. That's where that's just where integrity unfolds, and our lives become witness. And in this world right now, where I think all of our churches are concerned about the fact that it is not easy to witness about Christ, is it? I mean, it's uh, the cynicism toward religion and dismissiveness toward our faith is just uh, has gone way up. And, uh, you know, it's just it's hard to get through. And sometimes that takes such a, a long, long time. And it's it's work. But, you know, all along the way, who we are as a people, being a people together speaks of who we are in Christ, and it bears witness to who we are. You know, way back in the uh, in the early church, the first few centuries of the church, Christians just being Christians over time bore witness that the Roman culture did not know what to do with it because they just did things that didn't match up with the stereotypes that were projected on them. Believe it or not, in that setting, one of the ways that Christianity witnessed to who they were in Christ was how they cared for the dead. They basically, they didn't just throw bodies out. They honored humanity in how they cared for the dead. And they even they even took care of you know outcast kind of people and in their honoring they said something about who they are i think the same thing happens as we we worship and i just really really again want to encourage you with that there's a pastor of a church down in california which is in a city okay we're talking now all of a sudden we're in orange county california okay it's like no get me out of there but um, he, sums, he sums up what's going on like this. He says, uh, we are recognizing the tendency of postmodern people to put more confidence in what they experience, what their immediate community holds true, 
and what they see, quote, work than in merely, than what merely seems to make sense rationally. And what he starts talking about in the introductory part of this book is that, you know, we're way past that we're going to argue people into believing in God. They have to see something that's worth looking at and taking seriously. It's what emerges out of how we live. And so he, um, he wrote this book titled Embodying Our Faith. And that's where that quote came from. And he goes on to write, my position is as we move deeper into a post-Christian 21st century, the people of God will need to rediscover the power of an embodied apologetic. Now, by this, I mean an apologetic, or I can put in here an explanation that is based more on the weight of our actions than on the strengths of our arguments. And he really develops in this book of how how our actions do speak, and worship is one piece of that. What I'd like to do now is just take a, a few minutes here and just let us reflect on Scripture of God present with God's people. We say that so easily. God is with us, right? But let's just sit with that for a few minutes. God is with us, and we are with the Lord. We're abiding in Christ as we're here. And and can we sit with the weight of that and just appreciate it and think about what's going on? Now, I had to, I just picked out several scriptures here. So this is not an exegesis. What I really want to reflect on this morning is the fact that God is with us. And that is simply how God has revealed himself to us. So I, I began as a bit, uh, an opening scripture uh, from Matthew. And um, Jesus simply said in a very different context than what we're talking about this morning, he's reminding his disciples to be in prayer together, seeking the Lord together, because he says in chapter 18, verse uh, 20 of Matthew, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We are gathered in the Lord's name, and God is with us. And that is such a, a powerful, powerful thing. And now I want to just start adding to that. So I, I thought of a couple of scenes where the people had gathered in the Lord's name. One of those I want to just read to us here comes from Second Chronicles. We're going to pick it up in chapter 6, verse 41. And where we're at is this is the uh, the dedication of the temple that Solomon had built. So this was kind of the, the high water mark in his life. And, and we have here Solomon praying at the temple and the Lord's presence. So we pick it up in, in verse 40 of chapter 6. Solomon's uh, coming to the end of a, of a very lengthy prayer. And he says, now, oh, my God, let your eyes be open and your, your ears attentive to this place of prayer. Now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. And he's inviting the Lord's presence into the Holy of Holies. That's what he's doing in the temple. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face uh, of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David and your servant 
As soon as Solomon finished this prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. From there, I want to reference Acts chapter 13, a very different kind of setting where we have, it tells us a group of uh, several people and there, there were probably more in the room that are listed here. They were just gathered together, it says in Acts 13, one in the church at Antioch and there were prophets and teachers uh, gathered together and it gives a list of a number of them, including uh, Saul, who became, we know him as the Apostle Paul, that great church planter. So here they are, they're gathered just together in the Lord's name and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it says in chapter 13, verse 2 of Acts, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. These texts speak of the immediacy of God present with his people. In Second Chronicles, we have the big event, the dedication of the temple and Acts. We have a spontaneous move of the Holy Spirit during a time of worship and people just being together. We have an example of God present as they gathered in the name of the Lord. And from the front to the back of the Bible, God is revealed as the Lord of all, who is in relationship with his people. And when I say from the front to the back, I say that very seriously. So at its best moment, before sinners and sin enters in the world, how do we have God presented? God walking in the garden, right? I mean, what a beautiful picture. God with humanity, the first man and the first woman saying, let's go for a walk. And we have in Revelation, Clear at the back of the Bible, these words in chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Isn't that precious? We have the heart of God unfolding here. And when we gather in a place of worship like this, this is who we're engaging with. God with us, the creator, the redeemer. And I hope we walk into our places of worship with a profound sense of humility along with a profound sense of joy. That this is who we're with and we worship God worthily. And what are we saying to the world around us? You can't ignore this stuff. This is worth hanging on to. This is worth valuing. And isn't it worth valuing so that we can model it for the kids that we prayed over this morning and pass this on to the next generation? Wow, it's precious. It's just precious. And in all the philosophical stuff going on right now and all this dismissiveness that's going on with respect to worship and our culture, with respect to seeking God, 
think what would we do when we when we gather and worship and we experience the presence of the Lord with us is we cut through all the fat of arguments. We just experience God. And we witness in our world. There's two mentions two dimensions of engagement with the Lord in our worship settings that I want to remind us of. And I really do want to treat this this morning like I'm not the outside speaker coming in here to tell you how to do it. What I really want to do is come in and affirm what you're already doing and really encourage you to do that well and understand the power of what you're doing already. There's a vertical dimension of this. God is with us. And there's when we get caught up in a sense of praise, we're worshiping the one who's beyond us. You know, the Lord is here. You know, that, that comes out in different ways. It comes out in boisterous singing and in delight and happiness and all that kind of thing. And it also comes out in those moments of just a holy hush where the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. And there's times to be quiet and to wait upon the Lord. I grew up in a very committed Christian family. And we, like I just pointed out, I was in, among evangelical French churches all my life, and I knew the Bible, and I could tell you what we believed. But it was an experience of the presence of God that really pushed me forward. So I would have been in high school, and we were up at Quaker Ridge Camp up above Colorado Springs, up in the Colorado Rockies. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I don't know what the weather's like around here, but I can do some guessing down around in that area. We have the standard summer afternoon thunderstorm that lasts for about 10 minutes and then you all get hosed and then you go on fishing, you know, that, that kind of thing. Well, we had one of those afternoon thunderstorms that didn't quit. It's just dumping rain, it's dumping rain and people going, oh no, not one of these. And so people started drifting toward the chapel up there at uh, Quaker Ridge Camp. And then uh, somebody in the chapel said, hey, well, as long as we're stuck here, let's not just visit, let's start singing. And so we had the untuned piano that's pretty standard for camp sanctuary, you know, worship rooms and, and the old beat up hymnals that some church gave the camp. And people started call out numbers and we just started singing. And there were all things I'd heard all my life. There was nothing new about it, nothing fancy about it. But somewhere in the middle of all of that, the presence of the Lord filled the room. God met us there. It was like, Whoa, it was one of those moments where you better not move or you're going to bump into God. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, wow. And that, that caught my attention a little bit later that afternoon after it cleared up and everybody had, had left. My mom uh, was talking to me and she said, so did you feel the presence of God? And, and I said, yeah. And man, I didn't, I just didn't know what to do with it. And we, we processed that for a little while. And then I, I just had that moment where I realized that this is why my parents were passing the faith on to me. They wanted me to know God like that. And, you know, it was in a worship setting that it just shot my faith and my confidence and my understanding of who God is forward a long way. It was a very powerful experience in my life is that vertical dimension that we encounter, we engage with God. And I really want to encourage us to never let our worship fall into the habit of what we do on Sunday morning. 
We're coming here to engage with the living God. Habit, yes, because that's a, it's a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice to gather week in and week out the way that you do. But just a habit, uh-uh. It's a living relationship to be experienced together week in and week out. We've got this vertical dimension going on here, but we've got this horizontal dimension. God is not just with us as individuals. God is with us. God is among us. And Christ is being formed among us. Part of how we experience the presence of God among us is through our relationships and our interactions with each other. And the New Testament letters are peppered. You've seen this, so I'm not going to belabor it. But with all of these one another statements, right? Love one another. Be kind to one another. Be forgiving to one another. Bear one another's burdens. I love this one. Bear with one another, which is so polite of saying, you got to put up with each other. You know what I mean? It's like, oh man, are you serious? Uh, love each other. You know, and those, it just goes on. And there's like 14 or 15 of those one another kind of statements in the New Testament letters. Very natural outflow of, of our worship times when we experience the presence of the Lord together is that we're drawn to one another. And we're being shaped in Christ. We're not just abiding in the vine as individuals. We, invite, we abide in the vine together in, uh, in the Lord. I was a pastor at Greenleaf Friends Church for 17 years. And one of my most precious memories that I take with me from, from those years in terms of thinking about that congregation of people fits in right here. I don't know how many times, uh, as, as we were wrapping up after worship and when Greenleaf Friends is on a roll, they talk after church enough that it about drives the janitor nuts. You know what I mean? It's like, are these people ever going to go home? You know, kind of thing. And, uh, I don't know how many times I've walked out of the room 15, 20, 30 minutes after worship and there's still these little clusters of three, four and five people around the room talking with each other. And one of the most precious times I've ever seen, I've seen this multiple times, and when it's one of those little clusters of people after worship, and you know, they got somebody in the middle, and they're praying for them. And I think, what witness could we bear in this world any better than that of who we are in Christ? We have life in this God who's among us. And I said, and they don't need the preacher there. They're just being them in Christ. And that's a witness worth giving our world, isn't it? It really, really, really is. And I just want to encourage you with that. And I know, I know that there are times when we wonder if our witness, even as worshiping people, is worth the work. And is anybody paying attention? One of my most learning experiences happened when I was uh, at Little Blue River Friends back there in the years when I was combining corn for Michael Linville's grandpa. But there was a lady who lived about a mile down the, the road from us that, that went to our church, an elderly lady. And she had a son of hers that lived with her. 
I think his name was Richard, but that's not what people called him. He was a retired uh, captain out of the military, so his name, really name was Cap. That's what he was known as. And the first time I stopped by her house to visit with her, then Cap literally fled the room when I left, when I came in the door. And over about the next five or six years, he started hanging around a little bit more. Then he started talking with me a little bit, and he was gruff. And he, man, he was about as rough around the edges as they come. It didn't take long to figure out that all this guy had left was in life after a career in the military and alienation from the family and a divorce and kids that wanted nothing to do with them. Because basically all he did was play cards in town and drink beer. That's about what he had left in life. And, uh, but then he started sitting around talking a little bit. And then what happened was he started uh, getting sick and he was developing cancer. And he eventually started opening up to me a little bit. And then he got to where he couldn't drive. And so he asked me if I would start taking him up to the Veterans Hospital in Indianapolis. And so now I'm starting to take this guy. And along the way, he just starts talking with me. I start getting to know him, finally. Now, here's what I want you to... Well, wait, I won't quite tell you this yet. But there came the day, there came the day when he walked out of the VA, got in the car... And he looked at me and said, this is it. They said, I'm done. And they sent him home to die. And on about that 45-minute drive out of uh, Indianapolis, out to where he lived, he started talking. And I just want you to have in mind that from the time I first walked in his mom's front door till the day we were driving home from Indianapolis was somewhere around nine years. It took that long to have this conversation. And it just took consistency of life. But as we drove home, he began talking to me about his belief in God. And he said, Alan, I've always believed in God. And he started telling me his story about when he was a kid, going to a church in a town about 10 miles from where we lived. And he just talked about how one day evangelist preacher was there and there was an altar call down front and somebody was determined that he was going to give his life to Christ and they grabbed him by the collar and basically pushed him to the front. And really what happened was something in him died out of humiliation as about, you know, sixth or seventh grade kid. And then just a few years later, uh, he was back there there was a baptism service going on outside and he was there as a teenager with his girlfriend and I forget exactly why they were there. But the, but the preacher looked at him and just said, well, do you want to be baptized? And in the middle of all of that, somehow put him on the spot. And he hadn't been back to church, so why the preacher even said that, I don't know. But it just totally embarrassed him a second time in front of all these people. And he didn't flee from God, but he fled from church. So here he was coming home to die. And he's telling me how much he's wanted God, but he didn't know what to do with church. And I thought, what a heartbreak of a story. And what a reminder in that story of how important it is 
that as a worshiping community, we really love the Lord with all of our hearts, that we be God's people together as we talk about with those one another's, but we present Jesus to the world with grace and love and truth. And we can do that. We can do that, and we can do that well, and I encourage us to do that. So I, I just leave you with that as an encouragement that if we're conscious, if we're really paying attention, and we're faithful, we have so much to say to our world because we have the hope that the world needs. Even if the world doesn't want to believe it, we have it. But we didn't do anything to earn it. God gave it to us. <laughs> and we're stewards of that message. And part of that stewardship is for us to be a faithful people and know that our worship is a witness right here in this community and if we can't always see it. And even if people sometimes flee from us, like Cap used to flee from me when he came in the room, we're still speaking Christ into our community. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you and just bless you as a congregation. And I'll turn it back to you then, Kevin. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for um, Woodland Friends and this body of believers that's gathered in this room here today. And Lord, thank you for what you've done in each and every one of our lives. And Lord, I just want to pray the richest blessing of the Lord upon this group of believers' lives together. I pray that you will really meet them in fresh new ways in this worship time, that they continue to just delve deeper into who you are as Lord and Savior, as the living God. And may... may the joy of the Lord and the wonder of the Lord and the holiness of the Lord fill this place. And may the goodness of God come spilling out of this place. And Lord, I pray that as a body of believers, they will know how to seek you together and that they will really do those one another's and be your people together. And in those things, I pray that the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God will come spilling out into this community. And Lord, I know everyone in this room, those people around up and down these hills, that they wish somehow they could share Jesus with. Lord, bless their lives in a way that they are sharing Jesus, whether they're saying anything or not. And may they be attentive to the moments when they finally get the chance to talk. And may they have delight in simply being your people and letting your light and your life speak through them. Lord, may your goodness and your grace rest upon this place. And I thank you for these precious children of yours. And I pray these things in your good, good name. Amen.